Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the She's Got Gall podcast. This is brought to you by the West Georgia chapter of the Georgia Association for Women Lawyers. We are on Spotify and other social media platforms like YouTube. So if you were to just go to Spotify and search for She's Got Gall or go to YouTube and search for West Georgia Gall, you will find a listing of all of the programming that we've done so far, and we encourage you to, to like and subscribe. This is a continuation of our series, Lessons Learned from Women Who Lead, and it's gonna be a fabulous interview. I can't wait to dive into it. Um, but just to give it a little bit of context, this is a series that our members requested when we were considering our programming for the membership year, one of the questions we put out was, what is it you wanna hear about? What is it that you think you need? What do you think will be helpful? And it kept coming back as, we wanna know more about leadership. We wanna know how to be more effective leaders, how to advance in our careers, and how to move the needle forward for all the things that we're trying to do. And that's really what birthed this series. And tonight, y'all, we have a special, special, special guest. We have the Honorable Shalonda Miller with us. And when I say honorable, I mean the Honorable Judge Shalonda Miller. I want to um, give her a proper introduction and then we're gonna dive right into um, part five, this will be. Yeah, part five of our leadership series. Um, but Judge Shalonda Miller is a Fulton County Juvenile Court judge navigating family dependency and delinquency matters in the very delicate family circumstances. She is the associate judge serving parents with substance abuse disorders on the Family Dependency Treatment Court, which provides an alternative to the adversarial approach traditionally used in dependency cases and is designed to preserve the family through court intervention and services. Judge Miller was integral in the effort to define court operations and procedures to prevent a disruption of court functions during the COVID-19 pandemic. She has helped identify opportunities for efficiencies in court operations, draft policies, and form orders to better serve the children and families involved with the court. Judge Miller has also led the effort in training and developing summer judicial interns to accelerate their learning curve, inspire them to a career of service. Prior to joining the Fulton County Juvenile Court, Judge Miller was the Deputy Division Chief for Litigation and Claims in the City of Atlanta Department of Law, she also served as an associate Fulton County magistrate judge and as a staff attorney in Clayton and Fulton counties. Judge Miller started her legal career as a litigation associate at Weinstock and Scavo PC, and that's a mid-sized law firm in the Buckhead area of Atlanta, Georgia. Prior to law school, Judge Miller was a business consultant with Ernst & Young LLP and Capgemini LLC based in Atlanta, Georgia. She advised local, national, and international clients on operational best practices, software automation, and customer relationship management. Judge Miller obtained her law degree from the Emory University School of Law, where she was a member of the Emory Moot Court Society and earned a spot on the society's national team. She was also a class representative and a 1L mentor. Judge Miller obtained her Bachelor of Science degree in psychology with a mathematical science minor from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she was a Moorhead, now Moorhead Kane scholar, active in her sorority Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and deeply involved in campus leadership. Judge Miller graduated from Deerfield Academy in Deerfield, Massachusetts, and was a recipient of the school's highest honor, which is the Deerfield Cup. 
Judge Miller resides in Southwest Atlanta with her husband, Dave, and daughters, Sienna and Sheridan, and their dog, Romeo. Please welcome the Honorable Judge Shalonda Miller. Thank you. Oh thank you, gosh. thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, uh, talking to our GOB membership and other folks learning about leadership and to have the chance to share the things that I've learned over the course of my career to hopefully accelerate the learning curve for young lawyers, um, young lawyers of color, young women lawyers, because we need more in the pipeline for sure. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for accepting the invitation. And what I didn't mention, and we'll get back to it in your bio, is that you also currently serve as the Gall Foundation president, which is the philanthropic arm of our organization. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, but I, I read in your bio that you wanted to inspire people to a career of service. And so I was thinking sort of as I was contemplating our conversation tonight, and I was like, you know, a lot of people don't see it that way, but I feel like being a judge is really an answer to serve, right? It's, it's an answer to the call of service. Like there's a lot of, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but there's a lot of pomp and circumstance involved. People got to stand up when you come in the room, they can't sit down until you tell them to. And that's part of it, right? Cause it's necessary that that honors our system of government, but really judges are public servants. And so when people like you step up and say, you know what? I could, I'm, I have a law degree. And in your case, you have several degrees and you were a consultant and you've done all the things you could be somewhere um, making a boatload of money and living a certain lifestyle, you know, that would make a lot of people envious, but rather than do that, you have answered the call to serve. And I think that is so commendable. So thank you so much for that. We, we are honored to have you on. Um, and I mentioned Gall Foundation. So I'll pivot to that really, really quickly because I think it's important I know that there are a number of initiatives that you lead as the president of the foundation. Um, and if you wanted to speak to just what some of those are really quickly so that people know, they might want to um, you know, figure out how they can be of service or make contributions or maybe volunteer, who knows? Well, and so when we're talking about leadership, it is important, especially for lawyers. And so you hit on something when you were, were talking about it being a service career. Law is a service career. We serve clients, we serve the community, and as lawyers and uh, representatives of the court, it is so important that we make ourselves available to our neighbors and community members in the form of service. When I started with Gall, the first thing I, committee I was on was the Community Service Committee on the foundation, okay. and that's where I started. And from there has grown this wonderful opportunity to interact with other women, other, at the time when I was a young lawyer, judges and other leaders in the community. And so when you talk about leadership, service has gotta be a part of that conversation in order for us to be effective leaders, we have to be effective servants. And that's in every form, right? That, that is in the form of community service, which is where I started with Goal. But that's also, you know, when we're serving clients or in the role as a, a judge, when I am serving the litigants before before the court, it is it is all an act of helping move our communities' cases um, 
different matters that come before mm-hmm. you forward mm-hmm. and doing that with a, a servant's heart. And so leadership requires service and Gall Foundation is the service arm of Gall. And we do, um, we have all sorts of community service events that we organize for our membership. We have a partnership with the Nicholas House. Every um, second Tuesday of the month, we serve dinner at the Nicholas House. And I welcome all participants. We do um, a lot of projects with the the house and we're hoping this year we can do some art projects for our, we're gonna be back in person for our annual dinner for our silent auction. So we're getting that rolling. So that's one part of what we do. But then we also serve through grants to other community organizations and nonprofits who are helping women and children with legal services throughout our community. And everybody knows there's not enough money to go around right. for nonprofits. Right. And so we do what we can to uh, fill that gap. And then the third way we serve is by giving scholarships to deserving law students. Uh, and they're not huge, large scholarships, right. but they help young folks. Um, so, for example, 3Ls, if they're trying to just fill the gap between graduation and taking the bar or if they during a 2L during the year need money for books. Um, So these are all ways that we as women lawyers are able to give back to our community and the Gall Foundation is primarily responsible for that. That's fantastic. I'm I'm thinking that that's some of the most important work um, that we can do as lawyers is serve our community. And I know that this is um, a leadership topic, so I'll pivot to that. But what I wanted to ask you, um, so as a judge, obviously you're called on to lead different kinds of groups of people. You've got to lead your courtroom. You've got to lead the lawyers in the courtroom per se, right? Um, You have to lead your team. You're a leader in the community and Um, there's a number of like different personalities, a number of different perspectives that I'm sure you're called on to corral and move forward, you know, right. Um, and one of the things that I'll say is I, I'm probably not the only lawyer who has encountered someone who we knew before they took the bench and knew them after, and they were not as recognizable. Right. And what I mean is um, there was just something about ascending to the bench that seemed to sort of change their personality or maybe it revealed it. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. And I said to myself, I said, well, you know what, let's think about this from another perspective, because I've never been a judge. I've never, you know, had the situation where people have to stand up when I walk in a room, I've never been able to sign my name and change the trajectory of someone's family life. And so I would like to think that if I ever, you know, got that kind of um, authority that I would be the same person, but I don't know. I don't know. But what I can say is unequivocally, without a doubt, you are one of the most humble most approachable, most caring people um, that we have on the bench right now. And it's not just me, you know, the lawyers who have the pleasure of knowing you and working with you and coming before you, we all know it. We all know it. 
and we're always kind of because you know lawyers do you know lawyers talk I know um, <laughs> you know you know um, I know but I, but I I was wondering as I mean as a judge and having ascended to that level how is it that you are still that person with of you know the, that temperament that's approachable the humility that people feel comfortable calling on you for things or seeking out your advice even outside the courtroom or the person who they know if I go before Judge Miller even if I don't like the outcome I'm going to get a fair shake you know I I'm thank you that is wonderful to hear because whenever people stand up in my courtroom, I'm always like, sit down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> um, and I understand the respect for the system. And so I, I do try to conform to the norms a little bit. But one of the things that as a judge is very important to me is accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I mean that on a lot of different levels, right. but mostly just on the level of people feeling comfortable mm-hmm. and able to really talk so they can really get their feelings out and really be heard and be seen. Yeah. Due process yeah. is the most fundamental part of our, our legal system. Right. And you can't have due process if people are intimidated, are yeah. shy, they, they don't speak up. Uh, you need to create an environment where people feel comfortable. And I'm, I'm glad to know that I do that because it, it is very important to me because I feel like that's one of the ways that we get real access to justice and one of the ways we break down some of the barriers and and anxiety that comes with going to court. Um, And I think the other part of it is I am Shalanda. Um, Mm. You know, people now that I'm a judge, people will say, you know, Judge Miller, I'm like, you knew you knew me when I was Shalanda. And and I think some of the reason you you see people change a bit is this is a very isolating position. Mm. Uh, it is not a position that you like I can't talk about cases. Right. Like I can't I can't I have to either talk to other judges or uh, nobody because right. I can't talk about cases. I don't like, you know, if you're in a, a, a lawyer and you're in a firm, you get to go back after court and decompress and download. Right. right. I don't, I don't have that. Um, right. you know, the judges get together, but they're very busy too. Um, and so we don't get together, like we don't get together every day, like we don't see each other every day and right. just kind of download our days. Um, and so it is a, a an isolating position. And so I think sometimes that makes that, that creates a, a wall and a boundary. But what mm-hmm. I try to do is be a reflection of what I want to see in, in the community, right? I want people to, to approach me. I want, to, I want people to know that I'm listening. And so I can't be in the community introducing myself as Judge Shalonda Miller. I mean, I guess I could. <laughs> I could. Um, but that's very off-putting, right? Like it's... Right. Right. And, and it establishes something when you introduce yourself that way. Right. Versus right. if you just say, hey, I'm Shalanda. Nice to meet you. Who are you? Um, right. I don't I don't force up any barriers. I allow whatever the natural course of the conversation and relationship is to develop. And I think it's very important that we get away from some of that, because I think some of that formality is why you see the distrust Mm-hmm. And the lack of understanding of what happens in a courtroom. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah. I try, I make, I, I, I am Shalanda. I have yeah. been Shalanda and, you know, some people know me better than others, but I've been Shalanda <laughs> for a long time, a lot yeah. longer than I've been a judge. And so I hope that Shalanda comes through more times than not. And be clear, there are times when Judge Miller has to make an appearance, uh, right. especially in the courtroom setting, you know, to set some boundaries sometimes. But for the most part, I want I want my courtroom to always be open and conversational, accessible, where people feel like they can let their guard down and we can really get to, to the bottom of things, the truth of matters, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. root causes of issues that bring folks before the court uh, so that we can get to some real solutions. Right, right. So you um, mentioned something very important about accessibility and approachability and all of those things. Um, I would imagine though, that some of this you kind of is your personality and maybe some of it is kind of been honed over time as you've had to lead different groups of people. Um, and And I certainly don't think that you would have ascended to the role that you are without some level of mentorship. Is mentorship still important after you become a judge? Is oh, it less important, more important? Oh, absolutely. I, You know what? And I'm so glad you mentioned it because it is important at every stage of your development. Okay. All the way from, I think, from high school until death. Okay. <laughs> right? Because, so, you know, you think about it when you come into the the role of a judge, you you have the experiences that you brought with you from your learning over time and your different positions and your career. Right. But you don't, you don't necessarily know all of the things. Um, And so I have a, my, my, I am so blessed and fortunate. My chief judge is my mentor now, my, my direct day-to-day mentor. So if I'm like, you know, I have a question or I'm like, ah, this, this fact and this law, I don't love the way that's meshing. Let me, somebody, I need to hash it out, download mm-hmm. with. That mm-hmm. is who I go to. Um, advice about what classes and courses I should be taking. What what next things do I need to do to make myself more effective? I, I go to her and I talk to her. But then I also have a group of mentors that I'm asking for career advice. You know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm thinking of, of taking another step. What, how should I approach this? Who are the people I should talk to? What should I do to prepare? So I have I have mentors now, and I imagine and that I will have them always. Yeah. And I, I for any young people watching, um, and and even you know newer lawyers are are middle of your career lawyers. Just remember that you have something to give and bring at every level of your development. Mm-hmm. I was. Um, I was fortunate uh, the Southern Region Black Law Students Association asked me to moderate a panel. The panel was fantastic. It was former Chief Justice Harold Melton. Oh. Current Justice Berta Colvin. Oh. um, Judge Hatchett. Whoa. Right. Listen, Whoa. I'm in the room and look, I'm a, I'm fangirling the whole time. I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> that's fantastic. And it was fantastic. Oh, and Carlos Moore, Judge Carlos Moore out wow. of Mississippi. Like yes. it was, he's, he's the head of the um, NBA. Right. Um, 
it was a fantastic group wow. to just be in, in the space. Sure. And one of the young people at, you know, he was talking about how difficult it is to find a mentor. And I was like, look, y'all, you see all these people connect with, to connect with somebody mm-hmm. here, but then remember that you are a three L there is a one L that needs some guidance. That or a college part. Kid. Mm-hmm. That or a part. college kid that needs some guidance. Yeah. First generation law student who has no idea yeah. what to do. And that's how you start developing your leadership skills. Mm-hmm. You start developing where you are. Yeah. You, you take the opportunities where you are to share the knowledge that you've learned. And that's leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about your mentors. Um, what's some advice that you got from a mentor that you took to heart and you still use today? And then conversely, maybe some advice that you got that you didn't take that you wish you had. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it's one that I really, really remember when I started at the Fulton County Attorney's Office, uh, it was, I transitioned from private practice mm-hmm. to the County Attorney's Office, very different mode of practicing law, a lot more collegial because you weren't, sure. you weren't building hours, right? Sure. So people were open to, to share and exchange ideas. Uh, and my county attorney at the time, David Ware said to me, he said, treat this like it is your own private practice. Mm. Like you are a sole practitioner and everything that you do, you are building your business. Uh, and that was so important. And I have taken that with me. And I, I, I guess it could mean a lot of different things to different people, depending on how right. you take it. Right. But basically what he was saying is your refl- work is a reflection of you. Right. If you were building a business, how would you, what would you want that bu- business to be made of? Right. What would you want the reputation of your business to be in the, the legal community and treat this like that? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not, you know, we weren't getting bonuses and right fancy salaries, but we had, I think, some of the most important work that you can do because we were protecting taxpayers and employees and citizens right on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that's important work. Yeah, even if you don't get paid uh, the big <laughs> right, big time it, money it is, it is, it is. <laughs> And what about um, advice that you got that you didn't take that you wish you had taken? That one's tough too, um, because I'll tell you this. I think a part of, of being able to grow is taking it, not being afraid to take advice, even mm-hmm. if sometimes it's not what you would necessarily do yourself. Right. Um, you know, to try something out. And I don't know. And so I guess the thing I, not advice that I didn't take, but maybe a style of practicing that I didn't attach myself to. Um, My law firm, I worked with a brilliant man, Michael Weinstock. He was the name partner at the firm. And my first year, the the office right next to his was open. And I should have known that it was a setup because like who wouldn't want to sit next to the name partner? (laughs) But it was a reason it was open because Michael was tough. Really? And the person that sat in that office got, you know, he cu- he could call through the wall to you. And so yeah, he did yeah. often call <laughs> through the wall. And he was he was fantastic and creative and thoughtful and really a person that pushed the bounds of the law. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But he was also very aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I watched his style and I was like, I can finesse this. Um, And so it wasn't necessarily advice that I didn't take, but it was something, it was a way of practicing law that I watched and I took the things that I thought would benefit me and allow me to be my authentic self and mm-hmm. practice law um, and, and be successful. And uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I learned the practice of law from Michael. Mm-hmm. And I don't know people that people always realize that this is an art. Like it is, yeah. it's yeah. not just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess there are some areas of law that you can be like that, but I feel like for litigators, that's not the case. It's an art form. Right. You know, right. you learn you learn how to perform before a jury. You mm-hmm. learn how to moderate your tone when you're talking in a negotiation to, to pull mm-hmm. out more of the things that you want. So it's, it is an art. And I learned, I learned the art from yeah. Mr. Weinstock um, and took aspects of his, his tools and re- and I retooled them for me. Uh, so Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. That's a really good one. Taking the parts that pertain to you, but remaining your authentic self. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, because I guess it might've been Oprah or somebody who said you can be a better version of yourself than you can be of anybody else. Anybody else. And, and I think, um, that's especially true for lawyers because Mm -hmm. like you said, we're serving so many different people. Um, it'll come through if you're not your authentic self, yeah. people can tell. And you've and, got and it's, it makes like, like this is already a stressful business. Mm-hmm. And if you are sh- showing up with full makeup and costume every day, that's yeah. gotta be even more exhausting. Oh, for sure. And so, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And, and, and I know sometimes, especially as women, mm-hmm. right. Especially as women mm-hmm. and when you're a young woman. There's the mm-hmm. temptation that you have to be a way to be successful. Sure, sure. I, I, I don't think it's true. Yeah. I think you, you've got to be the way that allows you to be happy and joyful and doing the work. Right. Uh, and advocating for your clients, but not in a way that compromises who you are or where you are get, like I said, get made up in full makeup and costume every day to the right. point that it just becomes an exhausting load yeah. to bear. Yeah. yeah. I think that's some great advice. It takes some of us longer than others to kind of get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I feel yeah. like when we get there, that is the essence of the path to true happiness. Yep. But as a judge, I'm sure you've had to redirect some folks that you were leading, right? <laughs> I'm just going to go out on, I'm going to go out listen, on a limb and, and say listen. that. It's, it's, it is so, yes, of course, because, and, and it's, it's so funny to me, like people, people still mansplain me. Mm. Like, well, judge, you know, the law is, mm. I, I too am familiar with the law. <laughs> <laughs> I too am familiar. And, you know, I, I laugh about it. And what I really, really try to do is to remember that, I can't introduce any level of extra anxiety in, in these situations, especially in juvenile court, because the sure. reasons that we are in before the court are often um, very, very serious, traumatic, and me getting in my feelings about somebody mansplaining me. <laughs> um, 
it just it doesn't help the situation at all. So I really I really make every effort to not uh, right. be bothered by those things and to not allow those things to detract from the the issues and legal uh, basis before me. But it is funny sometimes. Like sometimes, I, and I will sometimes say, I I too studied law. <laughs> I do know, in fact, what the law says. And they're like, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, just to, like try to gentle nudge, like, OK, and they know they, um, yeah. tapping on and that every line. now and then. Like I've had a I've had a, a, a dad. He blessed me out um, oh, like wow. now we were on. And so this is the other part. Zoom, I think, makes folks a little. I think for for our young people, it makes them more comfortable. And I feel like my communication with our young folks has been a lot better on Zoom because I think Mm -hmm. it's just the technology Mm -hmm. and being on the phone and it's Mm -hmm. the technology they're comfortable with versus coming in and I'm sitting up on the bench. Mm -hmm. So I think it is this is a very good tool for our young people. And I feel like it has helped them feel more comfortable with the court process. But I also feel like for some litigants, there's no, like, you know, if you're in my courtroom and you bless me out, there's a, a sheriff's deputy there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with a gun mm-hmm. and a taser and handcuffs. And mm-hmm. they have a room in the back that they'll take right, you to. Right, right. Um, but if you're on Zoom, you know, yeah. we can remove you from the meeting, but right. that's like the worst thing that's going to happen. Right. Oh, he, he was giving it to me. Me and I was, I, I can take that. But when he started um, talking about the service that he was getting from the court staff and the attorneys mm. working the case, I did. I shut it down then. And I, I probably got a little aggressive. Um, and Judge Shalanda showed up <laughs> and, and kind of, you know, put the, the hammer down or the gavel down. I never banged my gavel. Um, yeah. I don't even have my gavel on the bench with me ever. It is yeah. on a little plaque on, on the wall. But right. I did have to kind of, you know, pull him, pull him back down to earth because we work hard. And I, I truly believe that for the most part, attorneys are working hard to serve their clients the very best they can. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we are in an extremely stressful business and to have somebody, you know, demeaning um, us as individuals is not that's not something I am going to tolerate in my courtroom yeah. for sure. So yeah. I did have to had had to bring judgment out, and <laughs> he 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 apologized. I'm sure he did. But, I'm sure, but he had to like I had to go full full mommy mode is probably yeah. the best the best way to say it. I gave him the whole look and everything. Like <laughs> oh no, we're not no doing no that. no sir. Yeah um, yeah. So that it does happen. You are a leader in our community, an awesome public servant. But if you had to say, and I'm sure there are a number of people, um, but we don't have a whole lot of time. But who is a leader that you admire and why? You know, uh, this is probably going to be very, very, very cliche, but my parents. Oh, I love that. Yeah, listen. These are just working class folks. They just work. And they grounded us in church. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in, I grew up in South Central LA when it was South Central LA. Now it's South LA. I grew up in South Central LA um, back in the nineties. 
And so there were lots of things going on in South Central LA in the 90s that could distract a young person from excellence. Sure. And my parents made it, they were very, very purposeful in making sure that we were occupied with things that were building leaders. Mm. Uh, We were at church, we were involved in um, youth ministry, usher board. I started, I started volunteering, feeding our community at at eight or nine years old, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, actively out working the soup kitchens and on skid row with my dad. Cause he, he was, he was, it was important to him that we understood that even though we were working class, we had roof, we had food, we had clothes. Right, right. Like I never knew I was working class until I, we was, it was a working class family until I got older. Um, <laughs> because we, yeah. never, we, we didn't yeah. want for anything. Right. And we stayed in our community working mm-hmm. and that to me, you know, these are, these are the first servants I saw. These are the first activists I saw. These are the first community uh, organizers because they were out getting out the vote. So to me, it was the the foundations the, of my values. And that's, to me, that's leadership, right? It, 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 it oh, sure. never required a lot of accolades or fanfare, just did the work. And that's so important. I think I think it is sometimes lacking in our leaders today. You know, people want to be recognized for what they're doing mm-hmm. instead of just doing it. Right. And there's there's a ton to get done. And there's a ton to get done right next door. And that's just how my parents, that's how they they raised and developed us. And so if I had to to pinpoint where it started. I mean, of course, it's easy to say your parents, but not because they were they were actively engaged in making mm-hmm. sure we were good citizens. Uh, it wasn't wasn't by chance. Right. Right. That's beautiful. And from that, they produced a judge. How about that? <laughs> and my mom keeps listen. If you ask my mom, I'm not just a judge. I'm a Supreme Court justice because she's just claiming it. Like she's Absolutely, she's like, no, nah, it's Absolutely. coming. I'm like. I'm like, that's not what the kind of judge I want to be. That's not the kind of judge I want to be. I'm with your mom on that. I'm with your mom. And um, and that was actually a perfect dovetail to my next question, probably my last. But when did you know, Judge Miller, that this was going to be your path? Like you've done a ton of stuff. I read the bio. You have a wealth of experience, impeccable credentials. But when did you know that you wanted to be a judge? So it, it goes back to my my dad. He used to make us um, study Black history. He Mm. he has always felt like there was not enough acknowledgement of our history and past in schools. And so he we studied Black history at home on Saturdays and he we would watch Eyes on the Prize. Mm -hmm. And and we've started watching it with our girls because I think it is very important. Absolutely. um, A very important aspect of history. But as a lawyer. And so let's tell you a story. So we watched Eyes on the Prize. And for folks that don't know, Eyes on the Prize, it follows the development of the civil rights movement. But more for me, what I took from it was the partnership between the churches and the activists and civil rights leaders and 
the lawyers. Yes. The lawyers who strategically work together to end segregation in the South. And we've got lots of work to do. Like, don't get me wrong, the work is not done. But that type of social engineering, which is what it was, right? Like they Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they manifest a a future for us. Right. For their, their, their future generations. They manifest that out of the law that already existed. Mm-hmm. It was already written. Right. And a strategy and working together as a community. And I was like, that's what I want to do. It's beautiful. They changed the world. They, like, they changed the world. Yeah. With the law. I was like, oh, so how can I be that? Uh, and that's when it started. So I was probably maybe nine or 10 years old. Um, yeah. And I will while I had other things that I did. So I was a consultant uh, for six plus years. And that really just, I was really just tired of school. I was, I needed a break. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was planning to take a couple of gap years before going to law school, ended up really loving the work I was doing, meeting a lot of wonderful people, solving a lot of interesting uh, issues and concerns within some of our country's largest businesses. It was, it was fun. It sure. was fun, good, thoughtful work. And so I just did it longer than I anticipated. But eventually I was like, oh, okay, this is this is not my purpose. Um, and so I've got to get I've got to get in line with what my real purpose is so that I can start moving towards the ultimate goal. And and so that's that's when I knew. Yeah. And I just got a little off track. Um, but I came on back and, <laughs> and got it together. And we are so glad you did. So glad you came back. And I will second that. Eyes on the Prize is phenomenal for anybody listening or watching who hasn't seen it. If you have children, definitely. I think it's great to share with your children. Um, And even if you don't, just to watch for yourself, it is extremely well done. Um, And it goes over um, and above as far as a lot of the little nuances and insights that you get from that particular series that are not found in some of the other um, stories that are told about that part of of history. So I definitely recommend it. We're gonna wrap, but I do have one final question. And it's not really a question about leadership per se, unless you wanna make it so. Um, But I'm curious, you are um, one of the beloved judges of our community. Um, you're one of our beloved public servants. Um, you're just a great all-around person. And you have a wealth of experience and knowledge and impeccable credentials. What is one thing that you would like to end on? What is it something you think that, and it doesn't have to be about leadership necessarily, um, that might be helpful for our audience? Anything that you think is, you know, worth sharing and ending this no. conversation on? Uh, there's like a thousand things like we could, (laughs) we could talk forever about just leadership, about being a lawyer and being purposeful. Um, but I think the most important thing, and you said this earlier, um, be happy. Mm, Choose what makes you happy. I think oftentimes, you know, we're, we're lawyers, I'm a, I'm a judge, but I'm a lawyer by training and pretty type A personalities, right? We plan things out very, very detail oriented. Um, And so, 
you know, if the plan gets off track or if, if, the, if what we thought was going to make us happy is not making ha- us happy, it's difficult for us to pivot sometimes. Absolutely. And I encourage you um, not to leave the law because there's so many things you can do in the law, but to pivot and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Even if you said your whole life, you know, I'm going to be, and, and be clear, I started off with a civil rights inspiration um, and ended up doing being a government attorney, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's where I spent the majority of my career. Uh, you can't, don't block yourself because, you know, I said I was going to be a civil rights right. attorney. And right. this is, even though this work is not, and I don't know how you could be a civil rights attorney and not be fulfilled and enjoy it and love sure. it. Um, but don't get so so married to the thing or the title or the money or the perceived success that you don't find your true happiness. Because when you find your true happiness, which which is rooted in a deeper thing, I think, which is your, your purpose. Like what, what is your, your purpose from your higher, Mm -hmm. your higher, um, when you are aligned with that, all the success in the world will follow and mm. you'll be happy and you'll be fulfilled and the things that you dream will come to you because you're doing, you're giving the service that you were put here to give. Right. Um, so find it, find that joy, find that joy and live in it find and you. share it and give it freely and openly and it will come back to you. And yeah. So be happy. That, that would be my big beautiful. one. Be- that I think is it's real easy not to. Y'all, this is the Honorable Judge Shalonda Miller. And she has graced us with her presence and her knowledge. And as you can see, I was not exaggerating when I said how humble she is. I was not exaggerating when I said how great her temperament is. Um, and so we're very excited that you will get a chance to hear from her yourself please play this over and over and over. It's full of nuggets. Um, And I would encourage you that if you want to hear more programming like this, please, please, please go on to Spotify and search for She's Got Gall. Um, There is a series on there. And then there are other topics that we've covered as well. And then also on the YouTube channel, you can do a search for West Georgia Gall and then subscribe so that you'll know when we add additional programming. I would like to end on a Judge Miller recommendation. Judge Miller says, um, choose happy. And so until next time, everybody, choose happy. Thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me.